Since 1981, public university tuition has risen by 26.6%. Private school tuition has risen by a staggering 34.7%. This does not even account for the cost of living during those four years, which has risen even more dramatically since the 1980s. The number of people pursuing a college education has remained somewhat constant over the years, with only 5.3% receiving a college diploma in 1981 compared to 5.97% in 2020. Aside from the academic rigor and demand of U.S. colleges and universities, cost is one of the leading reasons people choose to forego a college degree, even though people with a bachelor's degree make $36,000 more and on average than those with only a high school diploma. As the real value of the minimum wage continues to decline, falling by 17% since 2009 alone, a study, a study portion of the U.S. population continues to seek the American dream in hopes of narrowing the ever-expanding wage gap, leading to a national student loan debt of roughly $1.6 trillion in 2020. While young Americans are struggling with questions such as, will I ever be able to own a home? Will I be able to afford kids for the, li or the lifestyle I want? How will I be able to uh, retire someday? America is faced with the question, how can I fund the growth and perpetuation of a society? America as a government and within the corporate domain has responded to this major question by utilizing several key tax strategies to further incentivize continuing education, employer education, educational benefits, educational tax credits, and student loan interest deductions. I'm your host, Taylor West, and on this podcast special coming to you live from uh, Auburn University, we're going to be talking to you about these various tax incentives that will hopefully ease your mind about tackling your mounting student loan debt. First, we have Jeffrey Jordan to tell us about employer educational benefits. So what are exactly are the tax implications for both a company and or the employee? Well, as uh, companies today strive to attract and maintain talent within their organizations, one increasingly popular benefit has been educational assist assistance. These programs can vary widely from company to company depending on the amount of the benefit to whom they go to years of uh, service required, and plenty of other stipulations and requirements. All these considerations can have tax implications for both the employer and the employee. Under the main statute of the uh, IRC for employer-provided uh, educational benefits, Section 127, an employer can exclude up to $5,250 per year from an employee's income, regardless of whether the coursework is at the graduate level, undergraduate level, or even if it applies to the employee's job, even at all. Any benefit over that uh, 5,250 threshold would then be included in the employee's taxable income though. Okay, so, so what does this mean for the employer? Well, first off, under section 127, there's some, some specific criteria to ensure that the program is indeed a qualified educational assistance program. And these are the things the employer has to make sure of. Uh, the first off, number one, the plan must be written, be specifically written out. And that is pretty much a definite. Uh, 
The second portion would be the eligibility. Uh, the statute says the program shall benefit employees who qualify under a, a classification set up by the employer, uh, basically meaning that the company can distinguish who they offer these benefits to, uh, such as like only management or uh, maybe just only full-time employees. Um, the other parts of the stipulation is that the benefit uh, cannot be only for what they quote unquote, the highly compensated employees. And for a definite full definition of that, it's under uh, section uh, 414Q uh, or their dependents. Um, there is also a clause excluding employees that have set something up um, with collective bargaining agreements with the company in good faith, of course, and these are more for like union types. Uh, the third portion uh, is principal and shareholder owners. Uh, no more than, it's kind of uh, detailed, no more than 5% of the amount the employer pays uh, can be to a shareholder or an owner or their dependents if he or she owns more than 5%. Basically, is trying to say that the, uh, the owner can't really abuse the benefit and take the tax benefit. Uh, the fourth portion is other benefits as an alternative, which means uh, the plan cannot give the employee a choice between the educational benefit or the cash or other taxable uh, compensation. Basically, an employee just can't say, instead of the $5,200 um, for the, the education, they want cash as extra compensation. Uh, and then the fifth criteria is no funding required, basically just how it sounds, the program itself. Um, is not required to be funded. And the last uh, criteria is notification uh, to the employees. Lastly, um, it means reasonable notification about the program specifics must be provided to the eligible uh, employees. The company must let the eligible employees know about it so they can actually use the benefit. All in all, if all these criteria are met, the uh, program is a qualified educational assistance program. This allows the company to provide that $5,250 uh, of additional compensation on a non-taxable basis. Not only is this is a company uh, potentially getting a more developed employee, but it is also essentially extra compensation that can be used to recruit, retain, and incentivize potential or existing employees uh, to seek whatever, whatever additional education they would like. So what if the educational courses an employee takes does pertain to his or her job? Is there something else an employer can do to incentivize that? As a matter of fact, they can. Uh, this would typically leave the realm of the uh, Section 127 and then move to uh, the uh, 26 Code Section 132D uh, uh, as a working condition fringe benefit. This is where they can uh, be potentially greater uh, financial and tax impacts for the employee. If they're lucky enough to, of course, find an employer that will provide these kind of benefits. Uh, so for the education to qualify as being a directly job related, uh, and this is found in the um, 2021 Pub 15-B or the uh, Pub uh, 5137. Uh, must meet at least one of these following tests. Number one, it is required by the employee or by law to keep the same status, job, or salary, and it must serve a bona fide uh, business 
purpose to the employer. And then number two, the education maintains or improves skills needed for that job. Um, it is excluded, however, no matter if it meets one or both of those criteria, if it hits under these next two. Number one, is needed to meet the minimum educational requirement for the employee's present job. Or two, is uh, part of the program of study that will qualify him or her for a new trade or a new job, new business. Um, in basic terms, uh, the education must be for something that will make the employee basically improve or get better with their current employer and job. To give a personal example though, my company provides a um, one of these types of uh, working condition benefits, fringe benefits. They offer complete tuition payment and uh, reimbursement as well as pay for books with really no tuition limit at all. Um, some companies do put a cap on this, um, so it's it's not apples to apples everywhere. Uh, the company or the course of study I, I went for was uh, an MBA, and the company ensured that all courses uh, did in fact apply to our business and and my job responsibilities. Therefore, providing the uh, the benefit for the entire course of study. Uh, this seemed to be a common route for many employees that I worked with, um, as it is obviously perceived as something that um, the company looks for uh, when evaluating and promoting. With this benefit, the company paid for the entire employee uh, entire MBA program, um, excluding this completely from my taxable income. While I could have potentially maybe used the uh, tuition payments as deductions myself, I did have uh, I did not have to come up with the funds initially, as the company preferred to pay the school directly. They kind of minimized any fraud or anything like that. Uh, nor did I have to uh, itemize my reductions or worry about additional forms, complications, or anything like that when filing my taxes. I'm also fortunate enough that this current MAC program qualifies under my current job duties. Um, under this uh, working condition fringe benefit as well. So this is a huge source of uh, non-taxable compensation. That's great. Yeah. So are, are there limitations to educational assistance programs? There are some limitations, just like most things in life. Uh, with educational benefits covered under one, uh, section 127, some of uh, the expenses not included are, uh, first off would be meals, lodging, or transportation. Um, this could be an issue for some graduate programs uh, requiring like capstones or study abroad courses. Uh, I do have personal experience in this one as well, where uh, the capstone and the tuition payment for the capstone involved lodging. Um, and it was uh, it required a fair amount of uh, phone calls and resources to have the expenses actually broken down and split up. Uh, the second would be tools and supplies that keep that uh, the student actually gets to keep after the program other than their textbooks. Uh, this would be something like lab equipment or calculators or something like that that was included in the uh, tuition. Uh, and the third would be courses involving sports, games, hobbies. Unless there's a reasonable, there is a reasonable relationship to the employer or a required part of the degree program. Um, you can think of this as something like if you work for the Atlanta Braves organization, a specific baseball game would probably uh, apply to this instance. Uh, same would be um, if the course of study were to be a physical trainer, a sideline trainer to a supporting event would most likely apply. Um, all these, uh, these are the, uh, these of course are specified in, in section 127 and the 2020 pub uh, 970 as well. So, 
Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, and so now we have Nina St. George here to discuss the virtues of educational tax credits and student loan deductions. So Nina, what is an educational tax credit? An educational tax credit is a tax credit available for certain higher education students. Like other tax credits, they reduce your income tax liability dollar for dollar. Is there only one type of educational tax credit? No, there is actually currently two types of educational tax credits that are available. Um, there is the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. What is the difference between the two credits? There are several, several differences between the American Opportunity Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. Um, the first is the American Opportunity Credit offers a maximum annual credit of $2,500 per student. And 40% of that amount is a refundable credit. And a refundable credit means that if the credit exceeds the tax liability of the taxpayer, then the taxpayer can receive a refund. In the case of the American Opportunity Credit, since it, it is a partially refundable credit, up to $1,000 of that may be refundable. The Lifetime Learning Credit is a non-refundable credit and it is worth up to $2,000 per tax return. Can a student claim both tax credits? No. <clears throat> One student will never be able to claim both tax credits in the same tax year. However, taxpayers with a multiple student household may be eligible for both credits. So what are the eligibility requirements for claiming an educational tax credit? <clears throat> The specific eligibility requirements differ between the two different credits. However, they do have some requirements in common. The basic eligibility requirements for an educational tax credit are that you must be enrolled at an eligible educational institution. You must pay for qualified education expenses and the eligible student must be listed on the tax return. So how does a student know which tax credit to claim? In general, the American Opportunity Credit is considered the more valuable of the two credits and is designed for eligible students in their first four years of higher education. The American Opportunity Credit does have more restrictive eligibility requirements than the Lifetime Learning Credit. So to be eligible for the American Opportunity Credit, you must be pursuing a degree or other educational credential. You must be enrolled at least half time for at least one academic period, and you cannot have a felony drug conviction. This credit can only be claimed for four years and cannot be claimed after the four or four years of education have been completed. <clears throat> So, so can students only taking, say, one class or um, pursuing a master's degree qualify for a tax credit? Yes, this is kind of where the lifetime learning credit comes in. While the American Opportunity Credit is normally the first choice for students because it's worth more, there is an option for less traditional students or those that are past the first four years of their education. So the lifetime learning credit is available to students taking one or more courses 
There is no restriction for felony drug conviction and students do not have to be in a formal degree program if they are enrolling in classes to improve job skills. And the best part about the lifetime learning credit is there is no limit on the number of years you may claim the credit. Okay, and how about student loan interest deductions? How are they different from the educational tax credits and, and what do they do? So your student loan interest deductions are an adjustment to your gross income. This reduces your taxable income, whereas educational tax credits directly reduce the amount of taxes you owe. With student loan interest deductions, you can deduct the amount of interest you paid on your qualified student loan through, throughout the year up to 2,500. This includes the required amounts as well as any prepaid interest payments. I heard you specify qualified student loans a, a few times actually. So how do you know if your student loan qualifies for this deduction? To qualify for a student loan deduction, your student loan had to have been taken out for you, your spouse, or your qualifying dependent. The loan had to be used specifically for the education purposes of an eligible student, and it had to have been paid or incurred within a reasonable time before or after you took out the loan. Who can claim this deduction? <laughs> Anyone who has paid student loan interest in the tax year you're filing for, who is obligated to do so. Unfortunately, if you're married filing separately, if your modified adjusted gross income exceeds a certain amount, or if you're married filing jointly and you or your spouse can be claimed as a dependent by someone else, you cannot claim this deduction. Where can students and, and parents find out more about edu educational tax credits and deductions? So there's a lot of resources out there. One of the best is irs.gov. It really provides all the information you need to find out if you qualify for an educational tax credit. If you want to verify that you are enrolled in an eligible educational institution, check out U.S. Department of Education's database of accredited post-secondary institutions and programs. Finally, if you want to truly go to the source, Section 25A of the Internal Revenue Code provides all the information on the American Opportunity and Lifetime Learning Credits. Awesome. I, I want to thank my guests for joining us today. And to all of you out there, I want you to have a great day and go Tigers.